Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Beth Bond coming to you live from South Carolina today, and I am so happy to have Chris McCurry with us. Chris is um, really changing the conversation about green building and sustainability, and so we are really thrilled to have her with us. She is the co-owner of the Bark House at Highland Custom Craftsman, Inc., and the business was intentionally designed to create whole building products that are pure, with processes that are regenerative to people, planet, and prosperity. Barkhouse Exterior Poplar Wall Coverings earned the world's first and only cradle-to-cradle platinum certification. It has received the B Corp Best of the World Awards and holds a Record Product of the Year Award from the Architectural Record Magazine. The work occurs within the Appalachian region but is aligned to a deeper value that the founders, workers, and international clients all share, a love of nature. The long-term vision... It's a multifocal benefit for the increase from the increased making of regenerative building products. People will see their beautiful nature within because they are making good things and contributing to a better world. The planet will heal because the built environment is one of the largest shared human impacts. Prosperity will be reflected in health, community, and income with ultimate benefit to all. And when Chris and her husband started this business, they had all of used attributes, and they've been in business since 1990, and they still have that attribute I get from talking uh, with Chris. They did not set out to make a huge profit. They intended to make a meaningful impact, and theirs is a regenerative business. Welcome, Chris. Glad to be with you. So we were chatting a little bit before we started, and I am so excited about this conversation because we were discussing that, like, you know, some – a, a lot of topics can sort of go through cycles, and 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 sort of green building is is still very much embedded, and and, and like it, and that's the good news is is embedded, but still has ways to grow and expand. And um, one of the things that they've been doing is is sort of looking at more chemical free products, which is one of the things I always notice when I go to green build. But y'all are very different because you're a regenerative business. Explain to us what that means. Sure. Um, Regenerative businesses aim to hold space, really, uh, which is a complicated thought process, um, for people to identify their own um, needs and goals and desires, and the, the company honors those so long as they are in alignment with the integrity of nature and helps to to grow a culture and an area. So it's important that the business is aligned with the area that it's in um, while also keeping in mind the integrity of nature. And your products are beautiful. We um, have a spot on the show where we can load pictures, and I loaded as many pictures as I could of your beautiful products. Explain to us exactly what your product is so people really understand how it works. Yeah, thanks for that. Well, um, it is literally reclaimed bark from the logging industry that is taken from the trees, and this this was a waste product uh, before. So 
we take this uh, raw material and we don't do any chemical processes to it. It's it's handled uh, largely uh, by hand. We're not adding um, any sealers, any glues to it. We are uh, sterilizing the material through heat. And then it makes a beautiful um, entrancing product for interior and exterior wall coverings. And, and the, you know, it is a very green product, but the, the largest attribute is the way that people are actually um, entranced and connected to the product. And time and time again with architects all over the world in any application where the product is, we continually hear that people have to touch it. Uh, they're going up to it and they're putting hands on it. They're, they're wanting to know that it's real. And then when they find something that is real and authentic, it elicits um, a gut reaction, you know, within them. And oftentimes we'll have stories that they'll share of how they had remembrances of childhood activities, of walking through a forest with a loved one or so forth. So it's a connecting um, product, which I think is really important in a, in a technological and hard world today. Well, and, you know, it's funny because I always like to tell the story that, you know, a two and a, we have an intuitive. It is built in our DNA to be connected to nature, and yet we as humans have done an amazing job of trying to beat that out of ourselves. But a two or three year old, all you have to do is look at them when they're out in nature, right? They never go out in nature and they don't bring back a rock or a flower or a bug on a stick or even just a stick. And yet somehow as we get older, we take that out. I, there was a recent um, conversation where 95% of our lives between our car and whatever buildings we're in is spent indoors. And yet I totally get that idea of like you would have to touch it because it would be because there's just something in our DNA. And I think it's so awesome that y'all have found this process that is honoring of nature and, and at least reconnects people with nature. Yes, yeah. Um, and I think that's the largest attribute of it, uh, and, and that's reflected in the stories of the architects who are specifying and, and using the product. Uh, the University of Chicago used it in their child care center, and uh, the story that highlights that, the architect is continually referring to the texture and the connectivity and how that the children are you know, enlivened to interact with their natural world, even within the built environment. Well, so how did y'all get inspired to do well, – I mean, and also just credit to not using new harvests that you're actually, you know, reducing waste. But how did y'all come up with this idea? Well, it was a long time ago, and, and we were um, a lot younger <laughs> at that point in time and, you know, a bit naive. And, of course, as you said, we, we didn't set out at that time to – to generate a huge um, profit, but we really wanted to have a positive impact on the area that we live in. We, we're located in the Blue Ridge Mountains, which is uh, a beautiful, uh, pristine, um, we have gorgeous natural surroundings, and there's a lot of uh, connectivity for all people in this place to nature. Um, and and it is definitely something that is reflected uh, very strongly within the DNA of the people here. Uh, 
So they haven't lost that connectivity, and they don't want to lose that connectivity. And, and one of the issues in this area that's difficult and a challenge is there's not a lot of work. Um, number one, there's not a lot of work, period. And number two, there's particularly not work that aligns with maintaining the independence of people, um, maintaining their pride, and also helping to support that natural connection, helping to support people to stay on their family farms. And so we wanted to create something that was aligned with this area and, and reflected um, the beauty that's here, both within the culture, within the environment, and then also um, within the built environment. So we did have a 50-year-old prototype to look back at, which was um, the first squared bark shingle, which was created by the architect of the Lincoln Memorial, uh, Henry Bacon. And um, there were a lot of issues with that. It was made from chestnut bark, which, of course, is now uh, extinct. And it was not uh, engineered in such a way that it would uh, last in modern construction. Uh, so there was a lot of research and development that had to go into how do we make this for modern construction and what what raw material are we actually going to use this from? And fortunately in this area, um, poplar is a very large commercial uh, product and it's used in furniture, it's used in your substrates. It has a broad application. So there was commercial availability and uh, it fit all of the basic necessities to, to start that enterprise off with. And how many different uh, sawmills are you getting sourced from? So we work with loggers. Uh, we work on the front end because when when the trees are drug and and they end up at the sawmill, they're actually um, dirty and and the bark is uh, it's not pristine. And we don't want to use you know, we want the pristine bark that that hasn't been scuffed. Um, so we work with the loggers who are in the field. It enables them to increase their income very often, two to three times, you know, for a tree. So they take the, the tree, um, the log, to the mill, but they bring the pristine raw bark to us, and then we handle that and, uh, and process it. So you, you we have about, the bark before it hits the ground? Um, we harvest it as soon as the the tree is felled in in the uh, okay. in the woods, and we have about 250 vendors uh, that that bring that raw material to us every year. Wow! So you were going to say something else when I interrupted you. I apologize. Oh, um, it's okay. <laughs> we can move forward. <laughs> Short, um, short brain capacity. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love. This. I mean, this is one of these stories that I really love about sustainability, where there's like a million unintended benefits. That's one of the things I like about talking about sustainability is most industries deal with unintended consequences. So, a, you're providing extra income for your loggers. B, you're saving bark that would otherwise be trashed. C, you're um, you know, you're using it in an honoring way that is chemical-free. And, and it just seems like the list goes on and on. But your company has made a very serious commitment to the environment and um, are, you're doing business right. So, 
You have a cradle-to-cradle platinum certification, as we mentioned earlier, and, and a B Corp certification. Tell me why it was important for you to get those certifications, because those are not easy or inexpensive processes. No, and they're not um, short processes either, but... Um when when we came to it, we, we absolutely wanted to re- reflect to um, a community our commitment. And we, and we wanted to self-evaluate. You know, we wanted to ensure um, that we were honoring the purity of nature and that we were honoring the design strategy of nature. And part of that is, you know, what impact are we having um, in the world with the products that we're making so, for example, um, when we look at the, the science of it and we're measuring carbon sequestration, for example, which happens to be a, you know, a larger topic today, we can see that because we're, this bark is not breaking down in nature and because we're taking this material, this product, and we're putting it into the built environment, we're holding sequestered bark in place. And, or sorry, sequestered carbon in place. And the amount of carbon that we are holding within the built environment is greater than the amount of carbon that we're producing in all of our manufacturing initiatives all the way back to our Tier 1 vendors. So we're actually, in some cases, creating, um, we're sequestering and holding more carbon because of uh, the location that the material is now going than than we're producing, which actually creates a regenerative property. And that's one example. Um, Cradle to cradle is is a beautiful strategy. And and when I first came on board uh, with it and talked to Bill McDonough, it was uh, you know early in the process. It was 2007 when Cradle to Cradle was just getting off the ground. And one of the things that I related to him was that it is the most holistic strategy that I was able to find, which you know goes back to our core values of creating a holistic, a whole business, you know, for whole buildings. And um, the the science that's behind Cradle to Cradle is tremendous. Um, looking at water issues. Of course, water is a huge issue in our environment today. And although, you know, for you and I who are on the East Coast, we may not contemplate it in the same way that the West Coast is and the world always has. Um, So taking care of water and managing that properly, we don't use any water in the uh, manufacturing of the poplar shingles, but we feel like that water is such an important issue that we are actively involved in water stewardship initiatives within our community and watershed, and and we teach water um, conservation and management to the loggers uh, who are interacting with us as well. Well, and and clearly logging has implications in regards to water, um, whether it's, you know, if it's done improperly, it creates, you know, it's a a Yeah, erosion issues. Yes. Yes. And so one of the things that's um, really pretty about our strategy is that we work with very small logging crews that don't have a lot of um, heavy equipment in the woods, and they're working on small tracks, typically a 10-acre tract which is creating less damage to the forest floor and and the erosion issues um, are are much uh, diminished as related to that. 
Additionally, we encourage all of our loggers to have a certification in sustainability uh, for our area that might be pro-logger, smart logger, um, and there's several different states have different names for what that looks like, but they're, they're actually trainings and certifications within you know, the logging community. Well, and that's really cool. That's something new for me. So that's exciting because um, doing this as long as I have, um, I don't run across a lot of new. So I love it that there's that certification out there. Of course, we hear a lot about uh, FSC and SFI. Is yes. is that something that's in tangentially in related to so, those? Yeah, okay. so what we um, – on the East Coast, because you have very small tracts of land, it's more of a challenge for the landowner, which who actually has to have the initial FSC certification. It's a large challenge for a small uh, mom and pops, you know, farm to garner that level of difficulty in certification. And some some folks do, so it's not impossible. Um, and some industries do, such as Columbia, Carolina, and um, so with an FSC certification at our level, that means that we are certified to manage that chain of custody properly. Now, we were um, FSC and SFI and PEFC certified for a number of years, and then the, no one was actually um, demanding or appreciating that certification strategy. But instead of diminishing our um, what we were actually doing in the field in practical um, utilization, we continued to honor that strategy, but we are no longer um, FSC certified. It, it's it's nice when customers uh, appreciate that, and because there are increased variables and time that goes into managing those uh, certifications directly. Um, that has to be reflected in in customer uh, demands, and it it hasn't been. Well, and I know it's more of a paper corporation kind of thing. Like, is your paper is your printing job, uh, you know, in in line with FSC? I, I totally respect that, and you know, I think that there's many industries that have certifications available that aren't doing it. Of course, a great example is US, uh, USDA Organic. For small farmers, the, the barriers and cost and commitment to it, it's, it's just not, it's not reasonable. And, you know, besides the irony that the polluters can use, I say polluters, that people using pesticides can do whatever they want. They don't have to certify anything. But, you know, now you've turned around and farmers with 15 acres have got to spend three years and thousands of dollars to get approved. And so, yes. you know, one of the things we always do is encourage people to meet your farmer, right? And if yes. your farmer will let yes. you come out on the ground, you know, then don't worry about, you know, the seal per se. I mean, have a relationship with your farmer. So I love the idea that you're you're honoring the process, but understand that, you know, it's got for you to be sustainable financially, it's got to make financial sense. So you do have to balance that people planet and prosperity value. Um, if we're not profitable, we're not able to pass that money, you know, back on into our community. And um, although we are a for-profit industry, we have put 70% of our income directly back into the community, which is tremendous because big box stores typically put 14%, and even independent business owners, which is tremendous, puts around 48% on average. So. Um, 
you know, it's important, and it's, it's important also for the consumer to realize a couple of things. One is their investment dollar really makes a huge impact, and two, when they have um, manufacturers such as ourselves, we're ready to interface with clients. We're not just waiting for them. We're prepared, which means we have the capacity to, to help educate and answer those those difficult questions. We actually love them. We we spend a lot of our time in the community um, with the colleges and students um, and do a lot of talking and, and uh and educating about what does this look like. It, it's really important to continue to propel uh, regenerative business, whether it is in my industry, the building industry, or if it's a government industry um, or a, a government setting, uh, organizations, healthcare, um, education. All of these different businesses uh, can certainly benefit from the ideology and the structure of regenerative design because it works with whole systems. Which is, this is just such a thoughtful conversation, and I really, really appreciate and applaud you all for all the amazing work you've done. I'm just curious, um, what percentage of your business is residential and what percentage of your business is commercial? Yeah, and that was a transition. Uh, when we started in large, it was residential. And, of course, um, you, you know, the building boom was going on in this area, and one of the things that we wanted to do was create buildings that really fit in with the natural environment um, in our region. So we started off with a re largely residential, but we're doing more and more commercial projects and more and more interior projects um, because people see the value of, you know, you're, you are inundated and overwhelmed with technology all day long, and they see the value and the need, the human need to have those natural elements, you know, within the built environment. So if you can put that in the place that you work, that gives you eight hours, you know, of exposure to something that's real. And um, it's enlivening. Uh, so uh, a large percentage now, uh, well over 50% of, of our business is uh, in the commercial environment, and that's all over the world. Um, and, and that's with very recognizable brand names. That is really exciting to hear that, you know, people are starting to get it that employees need you know, I think that's been sort of a Silicon Valley story forever, but that businesses across the country are now understanding that space and employee mental health is is so important. And more and more people, I was actually listening to something they were talking about, we are so dis disconnected from the, the, the plants and, you know, our natural environment that if people would just take off their shoes and stand outside on grass five minutes a day, they yes. would immediately see, um, you know, mental health benefits, which I just am like, oh, my gosh, think about all the money we spend on prescriptions that we could just stand on grass for five minutes every day. <laughs> yes, well, and, and additionally, the physical health benefit, because as you said, if you're spending 90% of your time in the built environment, the air that you're breathing is actually being highly impacted by what's off-gassing, by all of the materials that's surrounding you. So, the air that you're breathing that's coming into your body, you know, uh, is 
totally made up of the products that are surrounding you. And if those products fall within that healthy materials category, uh, you know, then, then we're having to, um, to compel human health as well, physical health, emotional health, even spirit, spiritual connectivity. Well, Chris, I am so glad you found me. <laughs> I, I did not find you, and I am thrilled to have this conversation. We are about to run out of um, our regular scheduled broadcast time, so I want to make sure that people know where they can get information about your company and explore their products. So that would be um, the website is a great resource. There's lots of uh, pages to look through and product photos, which are always very popular, and that's barkhouse, B-A-R-K, house.com. Excellent. And uh, now do you exhibit, do you do trade shows, or are you all just staying in those beautiful mountains all the time? We do travel, and, and we find that the one-to-one interactions uh, really help to propel the conversation and, and give the designers more of an opportunity to, you know, have that special time where they're able to drill down. You know, as I said, the, the beauty of the product is overwhelming, but if you want to have that deeper conversation, you know, we can certainly uh, interact and engage in that from the perspective of a scientific level, you know, down to um, – What's important to me? What do I want to? What do I want to create in the world that people are going to live in tomorrow? That's awesome, Chris. Thank you so much for your time. It's just been an absolute delight and pleasure. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Bye. Wow. You know, I just always love learning new things, and um, I think it's very important for us to realize that, you know, we still have ways to evolve, that we see the new systems that we're creating, um, but there's still ways for us to evolve and do building better and do transportation better and do energy better. Um, And I didn't even get to to brag about her, but there is a picture on the, the show uh, they actually have installed solar. I mean, these folks are deeply connected and seated into their sustainability journal. So we really appreciate Chris's time, and we really appreciate our listeners. And remember, our listeners can become readers. There's, you know, thousands of pages over at Southeast Green. So we hope that you will pop by and, and visit Southeast Green. We uh, have, you know, just a, a plethora of, of news and information to help you live greener, but also most importantly is is we do have a large number of people who are becoming part of our directory, and so if you're looking for businesses who are sunk into the message of sustainability and, and helping the planet, you can support those businesses, and you'll find them on our business directory listing. So this is Beth Bond signing out with Jeff Heretics. Jeff Hicks and the Heretics, Life's a Peach, and we'll see you on the next episode of Speaking of Green.